Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. They've got a license to talk. Shocking. Positively shocking. And the words are for your ears only. I think you got the point. Welcome to The Words Are Not Enough. In episode number three of The Words Are Not Enough, we discuss the possibility of an Idris Elba James Bond after the Craig era. Is Barbara Broccoli considering a female director for Bond 25? A James Bond holiday special comic is coming this winter, and we give you our top picks for who should succeed Daniel Craig as James Bond. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to The Words Are Not Enough, our James Bond podcast here at Men Vs. Movies, where we, wouldn't you know it, discuss all things James Bond. I'm your host, Brody Cerevelli, and usually I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Griffin Schiller, but he is out of town this week to uh, go to a wedding, so because of that, he is unavailable to do this week's show. However, I think we're still going to have a good time, just you and me, sitting by the fire, having a little chat about James Bond. How's that sound? Uh, Even though the audio quality may not be as good as it usually is, uh, I think we're still going to have some fun here. We've got some really great stories to talk about. And speaking of, let's jump straight into the news with our Tomorrow Never Lies segment. And the first story up this week uh, regards some new remarks regarding the internet's top choice to succeed Daniel Craig. And these came about at TIFF when George Clooney, who was uh, sort of promoting his new film, Suburbicon, sat down with Variety to discuss a myriad of topics, one of which happened to be James Bond, which is a bit strange, but sure, whatever. Let's see what good old George has to say about James Bond. And he says, I think Idris Elba should be the next James Bond. I think it is insane that you wouldn't. He's elegant and handsome and masculine man. He would be a perfect fit for James Bond, and it'd be a great step forward. So based on these comments, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out where George Clooney sort of stands on this debate. He wants Idris Elba to be James Bond, which definitely conforms with a lot of uh, internet hype that's been surrounding the, 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 the recasting of the role. There are, there are a lot of people who are really, really on board with having Idris Elba be James Bond. And it's easy to see why. Idris Elba has a, a natural sort of swagger and a very, uh, I guess, charismatic appeal while also having a hard edge that I think is necessary Necessary for the role of Bond, especially now, uh, following Daniel Craig and basically what he has done to reinvent the cinematic interpretation of Bond. Um, and you can look at some of his work, like uh, BBC's Luther, which is a fantastic show. Uh, he was also pretty good as an, like an action hero, more of a generic action hero in things like uh, Pacific Rim and most recently The Dark Tower. Although that movie wasn't great, Idris Elba was great in it. And he did play a charismatic presence in the film. So there is a lot to be said about him taking over the role. However, don't get your hopes up because 
was just today he did an interview with BuzzFeed uh, and while he was talking to them he did a little like I guess pantomime to sort of demonstrate why he didn't think that was going to happen and he says I think not um, as when, when asked about if he had ever seriously thought about playing the role and then he smiled and said but you really need to ask the producers like I can just and then he like picks up the phone he does a little mime and he says hey I'm going to be the next James Bond no it's Idris hello nobody wants it and I guess in his eyes, that's true. He feels no one wants him to be Bond. And there is a very there's a strong divide online about the idea. But I don't think that's entirely true. There's a lot of people who would love to see him come and take over for Daniel Craig. Um, he doesn't see it that way, obviously. Or at least he doesn't want to let on that he sees it that way. Um, and I think it's also important to note that at this point, he is probably sick of getting questions about this. It's like every time he does an interview, someone asks, are you going to be James Bond? When are you going to be James Bond? Blah, 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 blah. And I guess that probably gets tiring. Um, I mean, Daniel Craig, who is James Bond, got sick of being asked that. So... I can see maybe why he's gotten a little sarcastic and just sort of plays it off as a joke at this point. Um, now, that being said, what do I think about Idris Elba playing James Bond? I don't hate the idea. Uh, I think he's got a lot he could bring to the role. As I said before, he's definitely got the charisma to be James Bond. Um, he is a little old. That is just... Uh, an unfortunate side effect of time progressing. Uh, maybe a couple of years ago, if Daniel Craig hadn't been James Bond, he would have been the right age. But at this point, it, it, it would be probably a bit short-sighted for um, Eon to go with anyone over a certain age because they want to at least get five films out of them. I mean, Daniel Craig, they, they only got five films out of him and he was James Bond for over a decade. So, I mean, you can never know with these, these schedules. And I think having an older actor is a liability because you can do less before having to go through the whole process of recasting. Um, that being said, there's also like, I guess the elephant in the room, which the debate is, do, do we want a black James Bond? And... The concept doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal in my mind, uh, other than for the fact that James Bond is not written as a sort of a raceless character. I think race is a very, I guess, important part of who James Bond is. James Bond is formed by his white privilege, if uh, if you allow me to go go there in this sense. James Bond is a misogynistic, alcoholic, aristocratic, white British man. Like, that is just kind of his character. And I think if, in, in, this, in this current political climate, if the, the, the Bond producers and the writers wanted to address race in a James Bond film, I don't think making James Bond black is the way to do it. I think that that would be, I guess, a, a, a minimizing the, 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 the racial tension going on and just putting a band-aid on and saying, look, it's he's, he's James Bond and he's black, therefore now we can just erase this, like, you know, this, this bigoted past that James Bond kind of has. Um, I think a more interesting way to go about that would be to maybe address James Bond's uh, latent privilege 
in a similar way that they have addressed his alcoholism and his misogyny in uh, previous iterations. I, I think that would be a really interesting way to go about it. Now you've got a, a Black Felix and Moneypenny is also played by uh, Naomi Harris. So I think that would be a more interesting way to go about that topic. And honestly, I'd be all for that because... James could be taken down a couple of pegs. He definitely does coast on that uh, that uh, whiteness, I guess. So that's I would prefer to see them handle it that way rather than just making him black and just saying that is who he is now. That would be disregarding a lot of history with the character and also throwing away a really interesting story perspective. But that's just the way I see it. And I, I wouldn't argue with someone if they said, Idris Elba should be James Bond because I can see where they're coming from or any other black actor for that matter. Um, I think it's more about finding a character, an actor who fits the role rather than um, finding someone we'd like to see play a prestigious role and then just sort of forcing them in. So I think that's the most important bit of like casting, a casting rule, so to speak, um, rather than race. Because I, I don't think that should be the first thing you consider, but it, it definitely is a factor in the, in the casting. Uh, so moving on to our next story, uh, with Bond 25 looming on the horizon, more rumors have begun to circulate regarding who will direct the project. Uh, the suspected frontrunner is still uh, director of 71, Jan Demage. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. Um, and most people, most pundits seem to agree that he has the role in the bag. However, there are still suspected other frontrunners, I guess, looming, um, which people were asking Barbara Broccoli about recently um, when she was discussing her new film, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Uh, and during this question and answer segment, um, she was asked what she felt uh, the chances of having a woman behind the camera on the upcoming Bond 25 would be. And she said the following. Uh, there are a lot of women working on this production, which pleases me very much. It's incredibly important to, to support a change in front and behind the camera. I love working with women. It's a different vibe. We have to promote women within the industry. Women are often tasked with taking care of children and ailing parents, so it's hard for them, uh, for some women, to sustain a career in this industry. We have to be more family friendly with childcare, flexible hours, and job shares. At Eon, we have lots of women doing job shares, and it's easy with technology. So, while this wasn't a straight on answer in a typical, like, Hollywood fashion um, there is a possibility based on these comments of a woman taking over to direct I don't think um, that, that, that Barbara Broccoli based on these comments would be opposed to the idea um, that being said I don't think and much this goes much uh, in line with what I was saying about casting Bond, I don't think anyone at Eon is looking for someone of a specific, I guess, um, group to do the role. They're not looking for a woman to direct Bond. They're not looking for a minority to play Bond. Um, they're just looking for the right person. So if the right person comes along and it's, you know, uh, <laughs> just, just for the sake of, uh, you know, throwing a name out there, it's like Michelle McLaren or something like that. If she came along and said, I've got a great pitch for James Bond, here it is, and 
they liked it. I don't think there would be any reservations about hiring her just because she's a woman. But at the same time, I don't think they're seeking out a woman in the same way that certain productions like Wonder Woman or um, Captain Marvel were looking for, specifically for a woman to be in some capacity behind um, the project. Because, I don't know, it, it, those were very specifically like based around women leading roles. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's the, basically the situation. As for a, a woman director to uh, sort of helm a James Bond film, there are a couple people that I think would be pretty good. Uh, Michelle McLaren, as I just said, is a phenomenal uh, director. She did episodes of Breaking Bad. She was going to do Wonder Woman, um, but ultimately she bowed out of that for creative differences. But I definitely think her hard edge, based on what she's done on Breaking Bad and other television shows, I think she might have done The Walking Dead as well. I'm not too sure. But based on that like sort of style, I think she'd fit perfectly with James Bond. Uh, Catherine Bigelow is obviously another really <laughs> prolific uh, female director, one of the biggest in the world right now. Um, and like she's done stuff like Zero Dark Thirty and she just did Detroit. And so obviously she has a, a handle on these gritty, dark, uh, hard-hitting stories with like a political edge. And I think that would be really, really great for James Bond. Whether or not she wants to do it is another question, but uh, those would be two really great picks. They're kind of cliched, but those would be excellent excellent picks if they were to go with a woman uh for the role but again get the right person no don't base it on filling a quota or anything like that so i'm sure a woman one day will direct a bond film whether or not it's the next one or the one after that or after that remains to be seen uh so now i guess the next story this next story is not really a um a news story so much it's more of just a development in uh things that have happened happening in the movie world that happen to affect james bond so recently uh disney announced that star wars episode 9 is having its release date pushed back to from may 24th of 2019 to december 20th of 2019 and um if, if you're starting to think that the end of the year in 2019 is getting a bit crowded you would be right because wonder woman 2 is also scheduled to release on december December 13th. And so now one has to wonder with these box office behemoths sort of moving into Bond's territory, um, what are the chances that they may negatively affect the box office return for Bond 25? Um, this is actually something I was thinking about a little bit when Spectre came out because Spectre was wedged, interestingly, between uh, I think the Hunger Games. Uh, the, the last Hunger Games, whatever that was called, um, like Catching Fire Part 2, and Star Wars The Force Awakens in December. So I remember when that came out and people were looking at the returns for Spectre and they're like, oh, this, is, this isn't tracking as well as Skyfall. Could this be because of critics? Could this be because people are like, no, no, they're not turning out to see this? Or is it because of uh, Star Wars and The Hunger Games sort of sapping the audience? Now, um, the way I 
from what I found looking at the box office returns, there was a very marginal difference between what Skyfall made and what uh, Spectre made. And you could probably bring that down to the fact that Skyfall was critically lauded, whereas Spectre kind of got a tepid response. So it stands to reason that it may have made a little less just based on word of mouth alone. Um, and let's just say hypothetically that people did just make a choice to go see Star Wars instead of going and seeing Bond a month after it came out um, or chose not to go see Bond because they'd just gone and seen The Hunger Games if that is the case it didn't really do much it was it was such a, a slim margin I think a couple million um, I don't think Spectre didn't quite make a billion and what Skyfall did um in, in, in any case, I wouldn't. If I was at Eon, I wouldn't be too concerned. Uh, now, of course, this that was we're going. Uh, the Hunger Games is nothing compared to something like Wonder Woman, which massively outperformed expectations uh, this year, and is now attached to an entire cinematic universe. Which, depending on how well those films go for DC, could end up being a, a massive powerhouse. And then Disney with Star Wars, obviously Star Wars is going to be a draw. Um, I think maybe we should wait to see what happens with Episode Eight and the Han Solo movie to sort of if those are bad or if a Han Solo movie is bad, which oh, spoilers probably will be. Um, you heard it here first, <laughs> but depending on how those are received, that could affect. Uh, the hype going in for episode nine, which could affect its box office. And let, let's just say hypothetically, the hype is low going into episode nine. People might just decide, you know what? I'm going to go see James Bond again instead. Assuming that Bond 25 is excellent, which fingers crossed. Um, but I, I personally just don't, don't see that. Be I don't think there's, there's enough crossover in those audiences. Those super, like like superhero movies and Star Wars, they kind of have this the sci-fi geek culture market cornered, whereas James Bond is more of a an, a general audience kind of experience. It's such an established property that has been around. I mean, Star Wars is established too, but it's been around for so long, um, and it's it's kind of appeals to everyone in a way that I don't think people the people going to see Star Wars are going to be making a choice between Bond and uh, and Star Wars you know what I mean like I think there's a chance that a couple people might but like people like my, my grandparents for example they will never go see a Wonder Woman movie or a Star Wars movie that's just not their kind of movie but they'll always show up for a James Bond movie uh, because they know James Bond and they know what they're gonna get they know there are certain tropes that are expected and it's obviously brought them back for <laughs> over 50 years so I don't think new movies coming out now are going to affect that and then on top of that James Bond has kind of this lovely little advantage I want to say in that there, there are no like annual releases for James Bond we get a DC movie every couple of months we get a Star Wars movie every year we don't get a James Bond movie sometimes <laughs> three four years between each release so it's not something that the audience is tired of if uh, that makes any sense the audience isn't oversaturated with James Bond material so I don't think there's any risk of them getting sick of it and saying oh, I'm not turning out for this one unless of course one is particularly bad which I don't think we've had a bad one in a while so uh, we've had like 
mediocre ones or like depending on what you think like like poly like medium medium temperature received ones i guess <laughs> um but we haven't had like a bomb so i don't think that is going to trend poorly for uh, bond 25 but anyway uh our final story uh for the the tomorrow never lies segment is a quick little birthday shout out to uh desmond llewellyn who <laughs> Will, will not hear this shout out because he unfortunately passed away in 1999 but um still think it's it's worth mentioning that um everyone's favorite uh you know quartermaster played by Desmond one was uh born on this day in 1914 so that's a uh, kind of crazy to think that he's he was that old but um he played uh, he played Q for seventeen films, uh, and his final entry was The World Is Not Enough. Um, and he actually has a kind of a touching send off in that movie. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, kind of spooky almost because they didn't know he was gonna die, but he kind of there's a nice finality to that moment that is really touching in retrospect. Um, I, I honestly think that's my favorite Q moment from the entire series um but q's always got like great moments i think <laughs> he's particularly funny in um tomorrow never dies when he's uh you know he's wearing the the avis red jacket and he's giving giving bond his his uh, bmw that's a particularly funny scene uh the scene in goldeneye is also really great um but at that point, Desmond Llewellyn was sort of starting to get up there in age, and he was having trouble remembering his lines. So they had these cue cards to sort of show him the lines while he like did it. So he was reading off of, of um, cue cards doing the scene, and you can kind of tell. Uh, I think the Tomorrow Never Dies scene is vastly improves on that by doing a lot of quick cuts so he could just do his lines then re like revise his next line and revise his next line between takes i think that plays a lot better it's less stilted but doesn't change the fact that the lines in that scene are great um Q, strange, very, very uh, strangely enough, unlike the rest of the, like, I guess, the MI6 cast, he always had great chemistry with whoever was Bond. Um, he had his own rapport with Sean Connery. He had a, like a, a fun back and forth with Roger Moore. Um, and then it, it sort of got a little uh, parental with Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan, um, or, or grandfatherly almost, uh, which... It really was, was a lot of fun. It was cool to see him sort of adapt his portrayal of Q to, to who was playing Bond at the time, which I don't think a lot of other uh, MI6 regulars did. Um, like Robert Brown was just... I don't know, kind of a dick to Timothy Dalton, where he was he was kind of okay with Roger Moore, um, and then um, Lois Maxwell Maxwell had great chemistry with Sean Connery, and it was kind of just not there with Roger Moore. So yeah, Q was consistent throughout, and that's a testament to Desmond Llewellyn and his devotion to the character. So he is sorely missed, and we are still he's still Q in my mind. So uh, and I think he always will be, and not that Ben Wisher is bad, but he, he defined that role. Uh, so yeah, that. That about does it for the um, Tomorrow Never Lies 
And now we're going to move into Q Branch, which is kind of like our expanded canon segment of uh, the show. And we've kind of just got one big thing to talk about with Q Branch this week, which is, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dynamite Entertainment, but they've been releasing uh, a series of James Bond comic books, and they're fantastic. I I mean, really, really some great stuff. Um, And they just announced... This uh, this week, that they're coming out with another release towards the end of the year called James Bond. Excuse me, called James Bond Solstice, uh, and in this latest installment in their critically acclaimed and ever expanding James Bond comic book series, um, they've recruited the talents of multi Eisner Award nominee Ibrahim uh, Mustafa, who was behind uh, Jaeger and High Crimes. Uh, to be the writer and the artist on this 30-page one-shot, which they're expecting to hit shelves around November 22nd this year. Uh, And then the little synopsis they released, it it goes as follows. In James Bond's Solstice, 007 accepts a mysterious unofficial mission in Paris. He is to pursue a dangerous Russian and do whatever is necessary. But is Bond the hunter or the hunted? Which... Come on, that sounds like a really great synopsis. That sounds like so much fun. And I've actually been waiting to see uh, Bond take on the Russians again because the Russians are kind of the the bad guys again, I guess, uh, depending on where you live. But um, they've always been a staple of James Bond being a Cold War hero. And now that there's renewed tension between the West and Russia, it's cool to see that they're like sort of going into that and exploring that because the dynamic is a little different from the way it was in the Soviet uh, era, the Cold War. But it's still very much the same. And so... I just think this is great. It's really, it just really kind of gets me giddy to see the Russians as the bad guys again. And this just sounds really cool based on the things we have already seen from Dynamite Entertainment. I don't know um, if you've read any of the other ones, but they um, they started the series with um, Idlian. Um, Idlian? Idolin, I, I can't pronounce it, but um, that was written by Warren Ellis, and he also wrote a follow-up called um, Varga. And both of them are just superb basically what they do is they take Ian Fleming's interpretation of Bond and they just transplant him into the modern day and it's everything you'd want from that idea it's the beautiful art really really suspenseful espionage storytelling uh, it's not all action it's because it, in the comic book form it allows them to be a little more cerebral and slow and sneaky about things and it, it's just an absolute delight, delight to read. They've also released a Felix one-shot and a Moneypenny one-shot, and I thought those were both really, really interesting as well. Um, it was really cool to see Felix in particular because Felix is one of those characters who's always in um, like Bond's peripheral, but we never really know what he's doing, what kind of adventures he's having, and so it was kind of cool just to sort of to get, a, get a glimpse into what Felix goes through um, on, a, on an assignment. And it, yeah, I just absolutely would 100% recommend those and I'm really excited to see what uh, James Bond Solstice has to offer um, and they're sort of elaborating on that in a statement from the publisher um, Mustafa had this to say 
I have a deep love for the character and his sense of duty within his world of smoky card rooms, tailored suits, refined tastes, and eclectic villains. Um, oh, sorry, eccentric villains. Like most, my affinity for the gentleman spy began with the film franchise, but the original literary bond uh, would eventually become my favorite iteration of the character. It was I was absolutely thrilled when Dynamite launched their James Bond series depicting Fleming's Bond in a modern context, and the opportunity to tell a story within that setting is quite literally a dream come true for me. Now, these comments get me really excited because uh, personally, I my favorite iteration of Bond is also the, the literary Bond that, that Fleming came up with. There's just so much nuance and... Uh, I guess, dark complexity to, to Fleming's Bond that we've, we sort of see glimpses of in some of the films. Uh, Daniel Craig definitely taps into that a lot more than most. Timothy Dalton also, being very well versed in the books, brought a lot of that to his portrayal. But there's only so much you can do without uh, the material, the script reflecting that. And so, um, they, yeah, there's just always something, and there's also something about the, like it being in written form that sort of facilitates deep introspection. You get to see just how damaged of a character Bond is um, and like how much of a tortured hero he is. And it, it's just beautiful. And I think the, the comics have really done a good job of uh, I guess depicting that and it sounds like Solstice is going to continue that tradition and I just love his enthusiasm I think I've said this every episode but whenever someone is enthusiastic about a project I'm, all, I'm already 100% on even if I don't fully see where their vision is going or if I don't fully agree with them being put in charge of a, of, a, of a project if someone's got passion that almost equal like automatically equals my enthusiasm because I just love artists putting their heart and soul into their art and so yeah bring it on let's let's I can't wait for November to get like just a it'll almost be like getting a movie you know a little taste of James Bond action and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes and I guess furthermore on that point uh, this is the way I want to see the James Bond universe expand itself don't necessarily need I don't want to see spin-offs in the films like uh, a Felix comic or a money penny comic work great because they are the, 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 the medium allows you to sort of take these tangents and do these little sort of slice of life episodes and then never come back to them just whereas films they kind of especially in the the franchise world we're living in now they sort of uh, begat for future iterations and building a franchise off of a spin-off and I don't want to see that I don't want to see a Felix Leiter spin-off franchise and I don't want to see a Money Penny spin-off franchise um, I think I mentioned last episode if the uh, if whoever ends up distributing Bond and Eon decide we want to do a similar thing that Dynamite's doing where we just sort of do one-off like maybe a TV miniseries or something based on the literary Bond I'd be all for that keep it separate from the movies just make it an expansion of or a an adaption of the, the literary Bond uh, or release new books within the canon or comic books within the canon like that's all great but yeah, I just don't want to see them take this too far and start building a, a James Bond cinematic universe because that just sounds like 
fucking garbage, if I if you excuse the French there. Um, so that about does it for Q Branch this week. And I'm uh, going to quickly touch on Brother from Langley, which uh, we haven't really gotten to do a segment for Brother from Langley yet. But um, I'm, I guess I'm just going to address right now that next week we're going to officially start Brother from Langley with a little bit of a Kingsman hype because Kingsman, uh, the Golden Circle, comes out um, on um, September 22nd. And so leading up to that, we're going to do a little bit of a discussion on Kingsman sort of discuss the first movie and the influences that Bond has had on that, uh, the comic book it's based on and also the, the film uh, and then just sort of discuss maybe some things we've seen in the trailers and the TV spots that look like they're borrowing from Bond or look like they're inspired by Bond and I think it'll be a pretty good discussion um, I'll have Griffin to balance off of with uh, that episode so that'll be a bit uh, more lively, but yeah, so look forward to that next week uh, and we're going to f- finish up today with with uh, our last discussion segment, we're going to try and do a discussion where I'm the only person talking. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, we're going to go into Shaken But Heard, which is the name of our discussion segment. And we're going to go back to something we discussed in the very first story, which is actors who could replace Daniel Craig once he is sort of done with the role. Now, I've sort of shared my thoughts on Idris Elba, so I'm not going to touch on that. But... I've got uh, a couple of other actors that I think would be interesting to see in the role. Um, I'm going I'm to address some like popular rumors and then also just some more out of left field picks that I feel um, could do the role justice. So we're going to start with some uh, of the more typical casting picks. Uh, first off, Tom Hiddleston. I, I don't know. I... <laughs> that sounded really dismissive, but and it kind of is. I mean, Tom Hiddleston, great actor, definitely could pull off the suave, uh, smarmy side to Bond. But I think Tom Hiddleston, almost from what I've seen of him, doesn't have the the hard edge that I guess Bond needs. It's not saying he's incapable of playing that. He's got range. But there's something about his physicality that just kind of, when he does smarmy, it comes across really punchable. <laughs> Rather than being like, oh, yeah, I want to be... I want to be James Bond. It's like I want to take down James Bond because he's a smug prick. But um, that isn't to say I would be unhappy with him. Um, he he was really great in The Night Manager. Um, and he, he was also pretty good in, in uh, Kong Skull Island in more of an action role. Uh, but maybe and maybe I'm, I'm having trouble seeing past his role as Loki in this case. But I just don't – something about his, his facial structure. I was talking to Griffin last night when we were discussing this episode and I said – He's got beady eyes, and uh, that, that's kind of just how I see him. I kind of just see him as he's a little ferret, and he's he's scheming, and he'd be better as an untrustworthy ally or a or a villain than he would be as a James Bond. Um, so that's just kind of how I feel about him. And then similarly, another really popular pick that I'm going to go against the grain with is Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy's a really, really good actor. And he's also British. So check, check. We've got two, two criteria, uh, criterions like sort of marked off. 
But I kind of think Tom Hardy's only being considered because we've had Daniel Craig. And Daniel Craig kind of brought this thuggish, rough edges, like James Bond, to the um, to prominence in the cinematic the landscape. And because of that, Tom Hardy is a, is a logical ex- extension of that. But I mean, it might also it might almost be going too far in that direction where it's like you're taking one element of the, the, the many facets to Daniel Craig's Bond and you're just exacerbating it. So it's like now we're going to go for a fully brutish James Bond. And I don't know if I want to see that. I think Daniel Craig has the right level of like blunt instrument in his portrayal. I think Tom Hardy might be taking it too far to the extreme on that. And which isn't to say he, again, couldn't be suave or anything. He is a very talented actor. But from what I've seen of him, he's he's almost too cockney. <laughs> he's definitely got he's he's got more of a street vibe to him than he does like an aristocratic vibe, and I don't know how well that would gel with um, a new interpretation of Bond, unless they were going to take it right back to the beginning, like they did with the, with Casino Royale, and have him start off as a, rough, a diamond in the rough and refine him. But do we really need to see that again? We've already seen that with Daniel Craig. Let's just start this next Bond with like a fully fledged James Bond and then just go from there. We don't need another origin. Um, So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about those two. Um, Now, I guess my list, I guess if you want a top five uh, James Bond actors that I would consider. Um, Bottom of the list, I would say is Henry Cavill. Now, I think he would be an amazing James Bond. I think he could have been an amazing James Bond, uh, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, back when um, he auditioned for Casino Royale. But he is now Superman, which is kind of a roadblock in my head because Superman is such an iconic character. And I associate him with Superman now that it would be kind of weird to see him then play James Bond, which isn't to say he should be typecast as, you know, um, like, you know, Superman character, like type characters for the rest of his life. But for someone but taking on an equally iconic role like James Bond, I think maybe some distance is required. He's also just like huge now. He is ungodly jacked. So that might also like make it a little hard. Like Daniel Craig is about as jacked as he'd want a James Bond to get. Um, otherwise, he just becomes. Uh, you know, a, a goon. <laughs> Not to say that, Dan, that Henry Cavill is a goon, and he's definitely on my list. So I, I'm just shitting on everyone I've I've brought up so far. This is terrible. But um, he's de- like like I'll, I'll go to positives. In the Man from Uncle, he was an American James Bond. He was perfect. He had the charisma. He had the the, the comedic timing. Uh, he had the look. Kind of looked like Archer a little bit, which was great. Um, yeah, he was he was absolutely perfect, and I think. If I could disassociate him from Superman, he would be an ideal uh, James Bond. But because I have a little trouble doing that, he's at the bottom of my list, but he's still someone I would love to see. Um, another, this was more of a, like an out there, not, not so much out there, just like like more obscure, uh, which is Richard Madden, who played Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. Uh, he's definitely got the look. <laughs> he is a an attractive man, and he also has the chops. I mean, James Bond isn't a terribly complex character, at least cinematically, to play. Um, 
and he did a great job bringing humanity to to Rob Stark, and I think he would do an excellent job bringing a similar level of humanity humanity to uh, 007. Haven't seen him in a ton of stuff other than um, Game of Thrones, so this is almost purely based on what I've seen in that show and the look that he has. But I, I, I would actually be really interested to see him, and he's also the right age, which is um, another thing that maybe help. I'm like holding back some other people that I'm going to mention on this list. Um, so yeah, not not too much to say about him, but I think if given the chance, he could do something interesting. Um, next person on the list is one of the aforementioned old people that I'm going to be putting on here. Well, not, he's not even that old, but um, Andrew Lincoln, who plays uh, Rick in The Walking Dead. He kind of looks old, <laughs> is the problem with him. Um, he looks fantastic. When he's all cleaned up and he doesn't have like the big beard and like he's fighting zombies, he looks really suave and I think he could definitely pull off like a, 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 the grizzled aspects of James Bond but also like the the um, the refined elements um, really well and I, I just he's a great actor and I would love to see him I'd love to see him you know acting in, in more of a native tongue for him rather than doing his American accent which is which is good but um yeah he may be a little too old at least like physically looking old um but i, I would still he's still on my list because i just think he would be uh, a phenomenal james bond um next is someone that i didn't actually consider until last night when i was talking to griffin and he brought up his name when we were like brainstorming and the more i thought about it, the more i was just in love with the idea and that is dan stevens and if you're not familiar with Dan Stevens, um, he was – oh, God. What was he in? He was in Beauty and the Beast <laughs> as the Beast. But that probably won't jog any memory because he wasn't really in it that much. He was mo-capping most of it. But um, he was also he's also in Legion, uh, the, the, the new X-Men show or the, the – the, the, the previous new X-Men show before um, The Gifted or whatever it's called um, and he was great in that show it really like just a, like a really strong performance and when you see him all cleaned up and this is going to sound really superficial I've been very superficial with all of them but a lot, lot part of James Bond is the look and but he looks like Bond he's got like the steely blue eyes he looks like he, he has the intensity he could play a young James Bond which would be perfect for a franchise because you can keep him around for as long as you want if you get if you start a movie every two years schedule he could easily outpace like roger moore for most bond movies done um yeah I, he was kind of an out of the out of left field pick but the more i think about it, the more i just think he would nail it so um that's i guess my most exciting pick because the, the the last pick is someone who's on everyone's list and for good reason uh michael fassbender holy shit ah what i wouldn't give i would give oh, all of my testicles to see michael fassbender as as james bond the man it, oh my god was born to play it he has the look he has the intensity he's conventionally handsome but he's also like kind of unconventionally grizzled and oh he, he just has that look and then he is one of the the best mainstream actors working today uh he's 
just a powerhouse. And and I mean he's he's Irish, but he does a really convincing British accent. Um, if anyone saw Inglorious Bastards, uh, I mean was, he was doing a bit of a like a, a caricature in that movie, but he he just has like the that cadence, that British cadence down pat, and I think. Oh my god, I, I'm just like gushing at this point. He would be fantastic. Only problem is, he is also getting a little old. Um, not that he's that old, he's middle-aged, but he's a man who looks a little older, and then like a little older than his age, and by the time Daniel Craig is done, he's gonna be, I don't know, like, you know, I think he's pushing... 45 or something like that like something where he's like he's close enough to Daniel Craig's age that's like hmm is it really worth replacing him with him I'm gonna look that up real quick Michael Fassbender um oh yeah so he's 40 right now so yeah he'd be he'd be easily like 40 45 43 45 by the time he's up for contention which isn't too old but it's getting there uh ideally you get someone in their mid 30s Late to like like early to mid thirties, and then they stay in the role for the next decade or so. Um, but oh my god, he would be a dream. And then you could have uh, Alicia Vikander show up as a Bond girl, and it would just be oh too much, too much for me to handle, honestly. Uh, so yeah, that's my list of would and would not have as James Bond like by the people I would and would not have sorry if uh, <laughs> I'm making a little less sense as this has gone on uh, I'm not used to talking this much but uh, yeah let me know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or something um, what you think of my picks and who you would pick to be James Bond because I'm really interested to see where people are at some people have some really obscure picks and while it's hard for me to argue with them I will argue with them because I live and breathe this stuff and I just think it's fun to discuss so yeah no absolutely uh, drop us a line if you have any thoughts on that so that about does it, guys. We did it. We made it through the uh, first and maybe only, we'll see, a solo episode of The Words Are Not Enough. Uh, if you stuck around uh, just to listen to my my silky voice, uh, thank you. Uh, if you want to hear more of my thoughts, God knows why you would, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brody Cerevelli, um, and that'll be in the the description in case you're having trouble with that that, that last name most people do uh, but yeah and so also be sure to subscribe if you really like this podcast like give us a like on Facebook subscribe to our uh, uh, oh, sorry, on um, YouTube subscribe to our channel uh, give this podcast a like wherever you're watching it if you're following us on iTunes uh, be sure to subscribe so you get notifications every time there is a new episode uh, and give us a, like a, give us a rating because that really helps us it puts us on the radar and you know gets more people to build this community we're trying to build so uh yeah if you had fun then definitely stick around because there's more of this to come and it will be a little more refined because griffin will be here to steer the ship our fearless leader but um that's about all i have to say so until next time i'll see you around Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. 
Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. You'll do it right to celebrate July 4th by throwing a backyard barbecue. Lowe's does it right, too, with July 4th savings to help get you started. Treat yourself to a new grill and save $50 on a Charbroil Performance 5-Burner Grill, now just $279. And spruce up your landscape before guests arrive and save in-store only with five bags of premium mulch for just $10. Whatever you need to get ready for the holiday, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 710 while supplies last U.S. only. Mulch offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii.